This feature is brought to you by 91, investing for a world of change. We've definitely seen uh, quite an interesting time unfold in terms of global markets. Uh, market conditions have been up and down over the last couple of months, in fact, last couple of years. And uh, I keep coming back to the thought that markets are cyclical. This, these sorts of patterns that we're seeing now are patterns that we have seen in the past before. And obviously, there's learnings and teachings that can be uh, found if we look back at uh, historical market cycles. I'm joined on the line by 91 strategist, uh, Hill Matani to take a look at uh, some of the market movements unfolding uh, today. Uh, good evening, Sahil. Thanks so much for taking the time. If we think back to, I don't know, say probably the 70s when market conditions looked quite similar to now, uh, inflation levels were high. We saw that uh, we were coming out of um, some wars or some tension within Europe. Um, and a lot of similarities uh, from the 70s are starting to sort of play out again uh, in this day and age. Is it right to sort of look back and say the conditions that happened or existed in the past, as they repeat themselves now, we can apply uh, those sorts of learnings that we learned from uh, what happened in the past? Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Um, I think it's fair to say investors have been really skeptical of the 70s parallel. Um, and not least because of the bond rally we've seen in the last month. But, you know, if I take a step back and just reflect on the period we're in, you know, investors have been skeptical because we haven't had a de-pegging shock like we had in the 70s. We, in fact, we can't have one because a lot of currencies were de-pegged, were pegged on gold and they cannot be unpegged again. Um, central banks have learned lessons from the 70s. And, you know, they're less likely to make some of the mistakes that were made in that period. You know, we have oil production in the Western Hemisphere now, right? The 70s was, all, was an oil shock emanating from the Middle East. And now oil is also a lower share of consumer wallets. And probably most importantly, you haven't seen the labor market power in developed economies that precipitated the wage price spirals we saw in the 70s. So I think investors have been really, really skeptical. And that's why 10-year break-evens, which are a measure of inflation expectations in the years ahead, have actually not really exceeded 3% for the dollar in this cycle. But when I look back, I think there are some really awkward parallels with the 70s. Uh, you know, we can, we can come to those. But mm. I'll just start by saying you know, the supply shocks are likely to be worse now, more persistent than we had in the 70s. You know, when I look at the capital expenditures baked in for the energy transition or for the rise in defense spending or the shift in supply chains or demographics, you know, that feels more significant than what we had in the 70s, which was really an energy shock and very little else. Sahil, let's put the uh, shocks aside for a second and look at the financial stability. How would you say that compares to the 70s, whether it's financial stability of individuals, financial stabilities of companies, and even of countries? Yeah, so, so financial stability risks, I'm thinking of you know, mainly domestic financial institutions risk, right? And obviously, we, we remember 2008. We remember... Uh, you know, long-term capital management in the, uh, uh, you know, sometime before that. Uh, but this time, we haven't really had that, um, in, uh, despite having the third fastest tightening cycle uh, since the, in the post-war period for the U.S. Obviously, we had SVB, uh, you know, which had uh, very long-duration assets and, uh, and short-duration liabilities. And so there was a mismatch, and then there was a run on that bank, and therefore... 
you know, at some point investors thought that would stop the cycle, um, but it hasn't, and we've we've continued to to progress. But obviously, financial stability risks are still present. I think a lot of mid-market, uh, mid-tier banks in the U.S. are are not doing so well, and that was also sort of similar to the seven uh, to the sixties and the seventies, right? So Arthur Burns, who was the U.S. Fed governor at the time, he's gone down in history as a really ineffective central bank governor. But actually, you know, we have to understand some of the difficulties he faced. So he actually raised rates by 600 basis points between 1967 and 1969. And then Penn Central, a big railroad collapsed. And then a year later, a, a big bank collapsed, the Bank of Commonwealth. Uh, so that's what caused the, uh, the Fed to hold flat. And we could see a situation today with similar parallels. You know, the Fed decides that they have to hold rates steady in order to mitigate financial stability risks. Obviously, that hasn't happened, and we, we hope that won't happen, but that's clearly a risk. So, Hill, with all these risks and with the fact that you mentioned already that investors are skeptical, what are the implications for investors? Where does that leave investors now? Yeah, so I think we need to focus for, you know, on the equity side, we need to think about uh, which areas of the equity market will do well. I think equities will actually do okay in this period. Some areas will do much better than others. If you think about the 2010s, it was a period of low inflation, lukewarm growth, zero rates. And that was perfect for long duration equities and US tech companies. But now you're likely to see a rotation into uh, more value type stocks and also more thematic assets. So under the thematic assets, you want to go back to some of the individual themes in our big road to 2030 thematic project, climate change, uh, the rise of China, technology, deglobalizations, and you want to identify specific sub-themes and themes under there. I mean, I'll just highlight one of those themes. We think some countries are really going to benefit from multipolarity. You know, when I look at Mexico or India or Vietnam, I see companies that are countries that are attracting FDI, uh, foreign investment from the outside world. I see countries that are moving up the value chain, and I see countries that are trading with both the major blocks, the US and China. So I think investors want to focus on these thematic tailwinds. Well, hopefully investors do make the most of uh, the tailwinds as they come about. Thanks so much, Sahil. Uh, we'll leave it at that. That was uh, Sahil Matani, who is a strategist at 91, uh, giving us his thoughts on the global macro environment as it stands and where potential pockets of opportunity may lie. This feature was brought to you by 91, investing for a world of change.